Hey guys, what's up? This is Andy Frisella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio, but when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO project, themfceo.com. I got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Medterra CBD. You can go to medterracbd.com and enter discount code BIGMXRADIO15 and save 15% every time you use the discount code BIGMXRADIO15 at medterracbd.com. I am your host, Brad Gehart. With me on the line, he's a repeat offender. He's way too cool to be on this podcast, but he keeps answering my phone calls anyway. He's the number 50 in, your, 50 in your program. He's number one in your hearts. Benny Bloss, how's it going? Doing good. How are you doing? Hey, not doing too bad. Uh, unfortunately, back in uh, uh, friendly Canada after uh, a weekend uh, attending Supercross races, always a little bit bittersweet. Good to be home, but I love being at the races. Um, St. Louis, 2020. Tell me about it, man. Uh, really, really good, positive steps forward for me. Um, obviously Anaheim didn't, didn't go too well. I didn't make the main event, but, uh, turned around for St. Louis, changed my bike a lot during the week and then qualified better, um, rode a lot better, had a good heat race, made the main, didn't really, uh, ride the best in the, in the main, but overall it was, it was some good progress, so very happy with it. Absolutely. So for for those who uh, aren't uh, one million percent up on all things Benny Bloss over the last few years, of course, uh, racing at with the uh, with the key, the RMATV ATV. RM, ATV, MC, KTM team for uh, a number of years. Uh, a lot of success with those guys, especially outdoors. Um, some some injuries in Supercross, which I think kind of held you back from your uh, kind of really showing what you're capable on that side of things. Uh, but uh, a different level of support for 2020. And uh, back on Yamaha's, where that's where you uh, got your Horizon Award uh, a number of years back. You, you broke onto the scene with this team so to speak and uh, and you're back with these guys uh and oddly enough i think you, like is it possible that you actually look bigger on the yamaha than you did on the ktm how does that work uh i think i think that is true it's i had to change the bike a little bit um rather than on the ktm i ran it just like everything was stock height rather but on the yamaha i run lower foot pegs and a taller seat so um I would say I probably do look a little bit bigger. Fair enough. Well, you're you're all arms and legs uh, when when a lot in most of the photos we see of you. But uh, how has the transition been going back to uh, a Japanese motorcycle, back to an aluminum frame, um, and, and back to somewhat f- uh, familiar territory? But like you said, uh, it, it is a big change, uh, especially going into uh, that was you had at least three years uh, of working on uh, on KTM's, whether it be uh, getting ready for the 250 East Coast, uh, where uh, you you had the shoulder issues or uh when you were uh um i believe it was 20 2010 or 20, 2018 and 2019 on the uh on the ktm 450 yeah yeah i rode uh basically half of 2016 and then all of 17 18 and night yeah and 19 on uh on the ktm um so big transition over to the yamaha 
a way, way, way different bike. Um, but I really, really like it. I feel like it fits me. Um, I, I truly think that Yamaha has the best stock bike out there. Um, you know, and obviously on KTM, I wasn't on a stock bike, but with this team, um, I'm actually running a completely stock engine with just an SMF pipe, uh, so far with good suspension as well. And it's been, it's been pretty great. I've, I got on the bike like November, um, on the 2019 bike. And then I got a 2020 in December and really I've just been loving it. It's, uh, been having a blast it's been a a little bit different off season rather than normal just you know the team team's a little bit different i've been able to stay in oklahoma which has made me a little bit happier um but yeah just uh really enjoying it for sure actually i got a chance to uh speak with one of your uh training mates down with uh uh Robbie Raynard and, and the rest of those guys, uh, Dylan Harriman, who had mentioned that uh, you've been down there uh, putting in a ton of work, uh, showing a lot of speed. Uh, give us the, sort of the ins and outs of that program uh, and, and what, what goes in with uh, um, spinning laps with the likes of uh, uh, the 250 uh, main event winner this last weekend, Austin Forkner, as well as... Uh, um, Justin Bogle, who uh, I guess you were a little bit in, in competition with last year to uh, to get that final spot on uh, on that KTM team. Yeah, no, we got a great group of guys. Um, like you said, Austin and Justin, and we have some privateer guys like Harriman, uh, Dustin Winter, Adrian Galamba. We got a really, really solid group. Um, our tracks are awesome as well. Robbie, we had 402 MX Trails tracks and trails or I, I think that's what it's called um brad he came out did our we got two supercross tracks um and it's it's a lot better when you have five or six different guys that you're training with who are also just as motivated as you who want to do good just like you and you, know, you kind of help push each other um and it's it's it's, it's really awesome all these guys are, are putting in the work and, you know, we're uh, just making each other better. So really, really liking it down there. Where have you seen uh, the biggest improvements in your game over the last couple of years? Obviously, Supercross uh, is something that it's a bit of a learning curve for any uh, young uh, young athlete as far as uh, becoming a, uh, a top flight pro. Obviously, you were the 2018 450 Rookie of the Year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but uh, even though you've been in the 450 class most of your career, most people don't really think of you as uh, uh, somewhat new as a, as a pro, but re- reality is you don't actually have, you probably have less years as a professional and less gate drops than a lot of the guys that you race against. What is this something that uh, has really started to round into form for you over the last couple of years? Uh, I'd say the main thing that I've really tried to work on is consistency. Obviously getting hurt last year and missing the whole year of Supercross was not ideal. Um, but like just consistency with training and consistency with the racing has helped a good bit. You know, these guys, a lot of these guys that I'm racing against in the 450 class have been racing Supercross for 10 years, um, you know, and I'm I'm on my fifth year. So it's uh, it's it's kind of crazy, you know. Most of the guys do four to five, maybe three to five, 250 Supercross years. 
difference was I did one 250 year and no 250 outdoors. Um, so those guys have a little bit more experience than me, like you said, but uh, just, I don't, I don't know. It's just, I love Supercross, and so, you know, every day I get to go ride and, and train. It's I try and take it and do what I can with it. Um, so, yeah. Fair enough. Well, like for those who who don't know, you're you're extremely tall. I think we've joked on the podcast a few times that you're like what seven foot three or something along those lines. Um, but in all seriousness, like it's it, it at at some point height can be an advantage. Sometimes it can be a disadvantage. Where do you feel on a supercross track, uh, other than the whoops, I guess, uh, where uh, you were kind of aided by uh, being as tall as you are? And uh, are there any places on the track where you feel like it might uh, hold you back, like having to uh, stand up, sit down as often as you do uh, with some of the seat bouncing and stuff like that? What are some of the things that sort of uh, the, the pros and cons of, uh, of being uh, a, a bit of a um, very tall? Uh, I'd say the number one negative would be the starts just because I'm so okay. much taller than everybody. I weigh a good bit more than everyone. Um, okay. And so that obviously when you weigh more, you're not gonna, it's going to be harder to get a better start. But, uh, like you said, the whoops, big advantage. Um, I am somebody who really likes the track when it gets like very rutted and stuff. I don't, I would think that it would be the opposite have my legs be so long catching them all over the place but um that's really been a style of track that i've kind of excelled at i would say um i'd say let's try to think here um other negatives or positives it's, it's hard for me to to be able to say because I've never been short, so fair enough. Yeah, right. like the, the last time you were short on a supercross track, you were probably allowed on a sixty-five. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, people ask me all the time. They're like, "Well, what's it like to be short on a bike compared to tall?" And it's like, "Well, like I, I don't really know, <laughs> to be honest with you." Um, yeah, you wouldn't know life, the other so. side of the coin because you've been on big, but you've been on full-size bikes since you were probably what twelve. Yeah, yeah, I got on 125s when I was 12, and I fit it, like, solid, like, didn't need starting blocks. No, awesome. Yeah, but no, we'll, I was... Is how how I tall was are you exactly? I Tapia yesterday. Who is a very small person. Who is a very small person, and he was like, he, he told me, he was like, I just want one time to be able to know what it's like to go through loops being six foot five. And he's like, and I, and I really want to know, I want you to have to know what it's like to hit whoops when you're five foot two or whatever he is. Yes, he's, he's um, very tiny. Uh, I would imagine some, some cut subframes, uh, some missing, uh, seat foam, at least for, uh, for you, like you've never had to deal with, uh, ha- like having the discomfort of a, of a really thin seat. Like you, you've always been able to go full foam all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, uh, like you'd mentioned uh, bike modifications to the Yamaha, something you didn't have to do for the KTM. Of course, I believe you. You did you not run uh, a little bit lower profile uh, um, uh, foot pegs for the for the KTM, or was that uh, that someone else? I'm thinking of. Uh, that was probably somebody else. I on the KTM, I never ran anything that was. I always ran like the stock height of everything, stock height, triple or not triple climbs. So, um, bar mounts, seat, foot pegs, all of that. And I, I tried foot pegs. I tried taller seat. I tried 
the bar risers and I just couldn't get comfortable with it. Um, but then on the Yamaha, it's like, as soon as I got on it, I knew I just kind of felt scrunched. And so I knew that I was going to have to make some changes to it. And, um, you know, so we did, we got the, I actually got the taller seat at Anaheim, but I've been running lowered foot pegs for a while and just kind of helps the comfort a little bit, you know? Yeah. Just open up the cockpit a little bit. It's not, not feeling like your, your knees are that far above the seat. Cause obviously with the long legs, like, uh, like grabbing the motorcycle would be a lot different for you than it would be for a lot of riders. Like most guys, their, their knees are like basically right in that sweet spot of, of next to the, the seat. Yours, not so, uh, not so much. Um, had you actually like, and I know a lot of the Husqvarna guys have done this where they actually make the seat a little bit wider. Um, have you ever tried that? I have not tried that, but I actually got one from the guts guy this weekend, and um, so we're gonna try that tomorrow. Okay, well, you have to let me know on that one because that, that that's actually a, an RJ like a, a um, Rick Johnson uh, idea that he's like these bikes are so thin nobody nobody can grab the bike properly anymore. So he he basically adds uh, almost like saddlebags on onto uh, I believe Mosman runs it as well uh, as Dino. So you may have to uh, get back to us on on the the verdict on that. Um, but what are you most picky about as far as uh, bike setup? Um, obviously, you guys are uh, pretty particular sometimes about how you like the bike to be. Um, what's the feel that uh, you get, you need to go your fastest on on race day? Uh, good set of suspension that's for sure um there's i know a lot of guys that are like oh i have to have my lever shaved down to this or i have to have my seat shaved 10 millimeters i'm not really picky like that obviously i like to put my my levers where i like them and i'd say suspension working good i guess but i think probably everybody everybody wants their suspension to work good so um i'd like to think i'm not crazy picky but I guess that'd be a better question from a mechanic. Fair enough. Like, like uh, um, yeah, maybe maybe the least uh, high maintenance guy in the pits. I've never heard anybody uh, give uh, too much gripes. Or, or maybe maybe you can uh, um, maybe just like uh, like Derek Rankin, uh, your good friend of yours. You could probably uh, like what has he ever uh, complained about when it comes to you? I'd say probably mostly feedback. I am not the best when it comes to like testing and stuff. I kind of struggle with how I get the feedback to the mechanic or to the suspension guy. Okay. Uh, which I'm a lot better now than I was. I've worked on that a good bit, but uh, sometimes I get very frustrated too. And then I don't like, when I get super frustrated, then I don't even want to talk to anybody. So probably stuff like that, I'd say. Fair enough. Well, that definitely does come. Uh, is that's a super important thing to be able to give feedback to your mechanics so that they can make the proper adjustments. Um, Obviously, brand brand new uh, suspension manufacturer for you for 2020. Uh, you'd been on uh, WP for a long period of time. Uh, are you guys are working with the uh, the Enzo Enzo guys, or, or is that uh, did I hear hear incorrectly? Yeah, no, we're running. Uh, I'm on Enzo Air Forks, and then uh, a KYP okay. Shock, which is 
really, I'm really, really happy with it. I, uh, nice. I rode a, the suspension that I rode in the off season. I rode that at Anaheim and, and just didn't work the way that I was hoping it would. And, um, we went out and tested in California on Monday, got a really solid setup and it was, it was great this, this past weekend. So, um, really happy with those guys. Everybody's helping out and but can't appreciate it enough. You know, it's, it's awesome to have such great people working and helping you. So, Absolutely, especially a, a knowledgeable guy like Ross Maeda. That guy, you could just probably uh, talk to him for hours just on stories on suspension alone. Um, you'd mentioned like ruddy tracks or something that sort of favors you, and I talked to uh, Dave Feeney over at, uh, at Husqvarna for quite some time this last weekend about the fact that um, I don't know if you've noticed a change, uh, obviously, since last uh, San Diego, uh, a, a particular material being used in the soil then that is no longer being used. I know when I first walked out onto a, a track walk back in 2017, I remember uh, telling somebody that I think that it smells like a cement plant down there. Uh, that's no longer the case. Uh, they no longer use the, uh, uh, the, the dehydrated lime uh, or the cement dust to, uh, to dry things out, which has basically gone away of the days of really hard packed supercross tracks and, and bringing out more tracks that have a lot more, uh, ruts in them. Obviously this weekend's, uh, dirt was unbelievable. That stuff is like, uh, uh chocolate cake. Um, and then, uh, even, uh, Anaheim at, uh, Anaheim one, it's soft, it's newer dirt, it's, uh, it's lime free and it's going to run up like crazy. And I think that's things, that's how things are going to stay. Um, sounds like that's something that's going to play into your, uh, your strengths a little bit. Yeah, I think so. That's pretty crazy how soft it was last week at Anaheim. Um, not, was not expecting that at all. Obviously I didn't make the main, so I didn't really, I don't really know what the track was like in the, in the main, but St. Louis, the main event was so gnarly. And I, I think it's, I think it probably should help me, um, going to take a little bit getting used to you know got to change the bike up a little more to kind of suit the track um but no i think it'll make the racing better i think it'll make everybody a little closer i think it I think it'll be really good fair enough so obviously disappointed with your anaheim one not making into the main uh for uh, a guy who's been had a sight set on uh, being in the top 10 obviously at the, after the first weekend you're a long ways away from that but the uh, a marked improvement for for the round two in st louis and i imagine you'll be you're looking for for a, a similar amount of improvement at anaheim too what needs to happen for you to uh uh take the next step Anaheim to this weekend and uh and where where do you realistically like to see yourself uh throughout the rest of the season like uh where's the high water mark you'd like to sort of rise to and like where would you like to find yourself week in week out some of the guys you'd be like to uh be be competing with somewhere I, I would imagine I kind of have have you somewhere in the uh like 10 to 12 range on, on a weekly basis uh battling with some of those guys that uh um like that, that, I think that's kind of where you belong. Yeah. Um, obviously I'd like to be in the top 10. That's, that's kind of the ultimate goal. Um, starting out the season, missing the main event was not, obviously isn't what I wanted. Um, so this past weekend it was, you know, just make the main and see, see where we're at. And so next week I'd like to do a little better and then maybe better the next week. Um, so just, 
going to give it everything I have, and I'd really like to be in the top 10, but, um, you know, I understand it doesn't just happen in a day, so we'll see. Um, just going to keep putting in the work and see where we can end up. Fair enough. Well, I, I, I do appreciate you having some, some serious goals moving forward, but, uh, what, what type of, uh, uh, like week to week preparations are you doing when it, when it comes to being in the gym? What does a, a successful week look like for, for Benny Bloss right now? Obviously coming off of a little bit of a tweak to the back. So maybe you didn't have as much time on the bike as you'd like to, but now that you're feeling a little bit better about that, uh, about, are you, I imagine you're, you're out west now, correct? Uh, no, I'm actually in Oklahoma. I'm going to okay. go to California next week, okay. but hopefully be able to come back the, the week after that. It really just depends on the weather. Um, the week, like a, a normal week for me, you know, we probably ride two to three days. Uh, just kind of depends on the week, how we feel after the weekend. Um, I usually try to do two gym workouts, you know, earlier in the week and a little bit of cardio, but if it's it's hard during the season because you don't want to be doing too much, but you don't want to do too little. Um, especially for me, I, I two weeks before the season started, one of them, I had the flu and I wasn't able to ride. And then the next week I had my little back strain. And so then I wasn't able to ride. And last week had to take it a little easier, try to let my back heal completely. But now we're at, we're back on normal week and, uh, just going to go back and, ride a couple days this week and get in the gym a little bit and see where we can end up this weekend um so yeah there you go and and uh how has this uh this this time period been for you as a, a newly married guy if i'm not mistaken uh a destination wedding uh over the off season pretty exciting and uh yeah like, uh, i imagine having uh, your, your wife supporting you uh, during the weeks and stuff like that is a huge feather in your cap, something that uh, a lot of the other uh, athletes don't get to uh, have the benefit of as they get ready to do battle on Saturdays. Yeah, no, she makes my life so much easier. So I was just talking to her about it um, today. That's amazing. Like race day is a hundred times easier. You know, she gets my food ready. She gets my drinks ready. Every, she helps with literally everything, and, uh, you know, it's it's really awesome to have that. Um, you know, like you said, I got married in the off-season, which was incredible. Congrats. Went down to the, the beach in, in Mexico, and it was awesome. And, uh, you know, just really, really happy to have somebody like her in my life, you know, for the rest of my life. So um, it's uh, definitely a positive. No doubt, we've uh, we've been hearing good things about your uh, wife. was was once a girlfriend, now uh, then fiance, now wife uh, for a long period of time. Good to see that you guys uh, tied the knot. Uh, what, what was the 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 whole wedding uh, uh, day like? Like, what, what was the the festivities like? And everyone needs to know who got the the most uh, belligerently drunk at your uh, reception. <laughs> uh, the wedding day was great. We spent. The morning, you know, ate breakfast, hung out in the pool for most of the day, played some beach volleyball. I like um, it. I was actually in the pool until like about an hour before, maybe 45 minutes before the wedding, actually, like the ceremony actually started. That's so pretty I nice. Most, most, your, your wife was probably getting ready like three hours prior to that, but 
Uh, so good on you. Yeah, no, you probably just had to put a little. And all that. Yeah. But uh, no, it was it was a lot of fun, and the the reception afterwards was was a lot of fun. Um, I actually, one a friend of ours ended up passing out, and he was on the ground, and they they wheeled him out in a wheelchair, which was pretty crazy. Classic. I've never seen somebody drunk like that before, but uh, yeah, people got wild. That's for sure. Fair enough. They're just so, it's just celebrating the love. That's all that is, man. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm not, we're not big drinkers, so, um, but I have a lot of friends that are, so everybody had, fun, had a good time. We can just assume that that was, uh, uh, your, our good friend, uh, uh, Jericho, who, who maybe, uh, had a little bit too much. Like, it was really like, we're not going to confirm nor deny whether or not it was him and, uh, uh in, in Mexico, three sheets to the wind. Um, Supercross, obviously, I, I believe you should be a, uh, like, a knocking on the door of getting some serious top tens. But when it comes, comes time to go outdoors, I think is when you shine the most. Um, does the team have full plans to go outdoors? Would you like to do a full, a full slate of outdoors for 2020? Um, and, and what if, when you're, if you're with a full bill of health and, uh, a, a bike that's running on, uh, uh, like basically running all cylinders, tip top and ready to go, uh, I could seriously see you like sliding into that top, top eight, top seven, uh, on a weekly basis and, uh, maybe even knocking down, uh, those podium, uh, motos, uh, again, like you did, uh, a couple summers ago at, uh, at Redbud. Yeah, yeah, the plan is to go full season Supercross and outdoors. Um, you know, I know that people think of me more as an outdoor rider, which at some point I would obviously like to change that as Supercross is kind of more important to everybody, I would say. But, uh, no, I love outdoors. I'm excited to do it again this year, and especially on the Omaha. Um, it's been a while since I rode outdoors on the Omaha, but I only remember great things about it, so... Uh, really excited hopefully i can have some more motos like that red bud and um some of my motos that i've had at unadilla um i'd really like to get on the podium that's obviously a, probably everybody's goal but um you know it's something that i i really really like to be able to do again and especially for an overall that would be just awesome so uh you know gonna put in all the work we can and and keep training and see if we can get there Fair enough. Well, so like you grew up watching this sport every bit as much as I do. You, you glorify it. You you look up to these guys. You look up to the tracks. Are there any tracks that uh, when you were growing up, you you'd watch them or you'd watch the videos? You'd be like, oh man, I can't wait to watch ride there. And you got there, and it was every bit as awesome as you thought it was going to be. Or is there are there any tracks you're like, oh, I can't wait to ride such and just a track, and you got there and it sucked, and you were sad about it, and it, it didn't turn out to be as awesome as you thought it was going to be. Yeah, um, Red Bud was always a race that I, that I wanted to do, um, you know, especially with it being around 4th of July. Yes. Uh, that was probably like by the Canada one Day. that I It's because that's do. right by Canada Day, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, big letdown, I'd say, would be Glen Helen. I always thought it looked really cool, and I'd heard good things about it, and then yep. I rode there, and it is hands down the my least favorite track in the entire world um so that was that was a pretty big letdown but uh there's some other tracks like i 
I've never been able to ride Steel City. I wish that I would have been able to ride there. That, that would have been cool. Pretty fun. But, uh, yeah, Unadilla, I would say, is another one. That's my favorite track probably anywhere, amateur or pro. So, uh, okay. so yeah. Fair enough. And uh, before I let you go here on the Big MX Radio podcast, um, the yesterday was the Supercross Futures, and this is uh, a program that has been sort of evolving over the number of years. Uh, some guys had to race the uh, race straight up arena cross races to get points. The not, last few years, people have been able to race these Supercross Futures. Now they have more of those uh, events than ever to prepare guys for racing Supercross. Obviously, they dumb the tracks down quite a bit from what you guys are racing them mm-hmm. on Saturdays to when they're they're competing on them the following day on Sundays. Um, first of all, how, how much do you think that that sort of changes the layout of the tracks um, for the guys to make changes from like basically overnight go from a full pro track to an amateur track in, in a, only a matter of a few, few hours. Um, and, but also how invaluable would that of program have been if a young, uh, Benny Bloss was coming up through the ranks and, uh, and did you get an opportunities to race some, uh, some arena crosses and, uh, and, and stuff like that before you made your pro debut? I think that it would have helped a lot. Um, you know, when I was an amateur, there wasn't really any, races like that there was monster cup for my last two years that i that i was able to do but um you know thinking like being on a 50 all the way up through big bikes having that every year to be able to do you know and knowing that ultimately the goal is to race supercross you know i think most people grow up and they're like you know i want to be a supercross racer rather than i want to be an outdoor racer um yeah you know, now Especially you your talk that maybe out is going to go away sometime. But I think that it's awesome for the sport. I think it'll help kids be able to get better skills as well because obviously Supercross is a little more technical. Um, I can't believe that the track crew is able to get the track done in the few hours because, I mean, I feel like they're really not able to start working on it until probably midnight and they have practice. Yeah you know, early the next morning. Um, so that's pretty crazy, but, you know, those guys do a really good job at, at their job. So, um, but yeah, I think it's great for the sport and great for the kids. For sure. Yeah, like uh, an invaluable program that uh, a young Benny Bloss would have definitely benefited from. But uh, but that's in the past now, man. You're a full-fledged um, Supercross superstar. Uh, the number 50 on the, on the machine, like – um, given the, like, assuming that uh, at some point you'll get uh, a permanent number, uh, what would you go with? Like, you see, obviously you're changing all, uh, year to year, uh, having not yet earned a, uh, a permanent number. Uh, what would, like, if you could have your pick of the litter, what would you switch to? Um, and, uh, like, so, and, like, what, what do you think of the number 50 on the machine? I like the 50. I, I don't think I would go with 50. For my for a permanent number, but I do I do like the number. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely have to go with thirty three. That was my amateur number. Um, okay, I think it's I, gonna just, be I really soon. like the way that looks. Yes, it is. So, is I think if JG doesn't race at all this year, it'll it'll be available next year. So yeah, hopefully I can score enough points in Supercross and then outdoors this year to be able to get that um, to be able to get a permanent number. I think it was twenty eighteen. I missed it. I was like. 
like a few points, like 10 uh. to 12 points out from a permanent number, which is frustrating, but, uh, you know, hopefully we can get there this year and 33 would look, would look pretty cool on the bike. So that's, uh, I'd say that's probably what I'd go with. Absolutely. I, I like 33. I, I like uh, a lot. I like the, the, like a double numbers. Like I've always liked Chad Reed's 22. Um, uh, I even like, uh, um, who's wearing 44 right now, but I think Cunningham. Yeah, Cunningham's on forty four right now. Like I've I've always liked numbers like that. Thirty three is a, a solid look. Uh, who was one of your favorite guys growing up? Was there anyone that like just stood out to you? Obviously, you're a huge fan of Robbie, but I think his his career was sort of done long before uh, you like kind of because he was basically done done uh, racing Supercross when you were like probably twelve or thirteen, or maybe even younger than that. Uh, Who did you look up to? Yeah, always growing up, like especially when I was like a lot younger, like 50s and 60s, uh, yeah. even 85s. My favorite racer was Chad Reed. I love it. And growing up, I always wanted to be able to get to Supercross and be able to ride for Factory Omaha just because Chad Reed, that's who he rode for. Of course. Um, and then I kind of I kind of grew out of the Chad Reed and was a big Stu fan. I still, to this day, it is absolutely incredible. Some of the stuff that that dude has done on a dirt bike. Um, I'd say those two dudes probably, which, which is especially crazy, you know, knowing that I'm racing Chad Reed. Um, I was going to say, all last, last, was it last year? You were basically like the two of you guys were inseparable. What was that season like where basically uh, you guys were stuck together like glue? Yeah, it was like the first, the first half of the 2018 season, every single weekend in the main event, I would have to battle with him. And it was just like, ah, oh. especially sometimes, you know, got to make a blog pass and it's like, oh, I don't want to have to try to do this to Chad Reed. Like, this is Chad Reed. Yeah. Oh, it's but, like a, uh, it's, it's no, a it's serious awesome. dilemma. It's like a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's, it's, it's cool. Um, you know, especially being such a big fan of him growing up. And actually in 20, I think it was 2016, I was able to race James at Hank, right. or not Hanktown, uh, Millville and Washougal. That's and right. I beat him at both of those races. And I remember at Millville, I passed him. And Mike, I took a second after I passed him and I was just like, oh my gosh. Like that, that just happened. Like I get that he's like at the end of his career, but that just yeah. happened. Yeah, no, that that's, uh, um, yeah, they don't ask how they ask how many. And, uh, that is one pass on Stu in professional motocross. Uh, yeah, that, that, that doesn't happen too often. And, uh, obviously that's at the very tail end of, of Stu's, uh, go at it, but, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, uh, like almost like you're, you're conquering your heroes at that point. Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely a crazy moment. That's for sure. Fair enough. Well, uh, last thing before I, I, I let you go on the podcast, my friend. Tonight is the uh, the college football national championship. The LSU Tigers against the Clemson Tigers. Uh, as hilarious as that is, who you got? <laughs> oh, gotta go with the Tigers for sure. I think the Tigers are gonna win. Um, yes. I would, uh, 
I don't know. I would, you know, it's nice to see new winners. Nice to see new people in the playoff. I'm a little salty that LSU just absolutely dominated the Sooners. Yes. In the first game of the playoff, but uh, I think they're going to take it. Fair enough. Yeah, well, if pick. you if you want your if your if your team's going to lose, you hope that the team that beat your team goes ahead and wins because at least you beat you got beat by the best team. Can we go with that? Yeah, I would say so. I, I would definitely say so. And then can't forget next weekend AFC Championship where my Kansas City Chiefs are going to absolutely dominate Derek Rankin's Tennessee Titans. How about that comeback? 24 points to win by 20. That was the first time a team has been down by 20 and then won by more than 20. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was pretty crazy. I'm, I was watching the game, and I think it was the um, the Texans had just kicked that field goal to make it 24 nothing, and I was like getting ready to shut the TV off and I was going to go play some Xbox, but I was like, yeah. you know what, I'll watch one more drive, like, and, then I'll, and then I'll be done. And yeah. so I watched the, the drive and the Chiefs score, and they made it look so easy, and I was like... Three plays. I'm like, okay, like maybe they remember how to play football. I'll watch another. And then I... I cannot believe what I was watching. Like it, it's pretty incredible that they came back and just to come down from twenty-four to nothing, but to win by twenty—that's ridiculous. Definitely, totally. definitely deserving of, to to go to the the championship game. That's for sure. Yes, sir. Tw- uh, eight straight drives resulting in a touchdown, and uh, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, pretty damn good at football, making a case for MVP. That's for damn sure, especially when you get guys like Lamar Jackson who are uh, uh, doing going going full choke mode and letting the Tennessee Titans uh, uh, come in and uh, just like walk all over them. But uh, you get to, you have a great rest of your evening, my friend. Uh, set your sights on uh, on an even better Anaheim two than uh, than your St. Louis went to, and I really appreciate the time, my friend. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. Let's uh, let's do this again sometime soon when uh, when you're knocking down those top ten finishes, my friend. Uh, do not hang up just yet. But for podcast sake, we're we're going to cut it off right there. <laughs>